You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alison Mira. Eoch Taniyap. Kwiget Yuans Kwiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kwiget Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yagalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. This episode is the comics episode and comedians episode, which will be hilarious. But before that, let's put on our theme song, Possibilities by Key Stara.
The song you just heard is Possibilities by Key Sarah. Key Sarah is a mother-daughter duo from Ontario, and the daughter who is singing is on the autism spectrum. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Mira. This episode is going to be about comedians and comics. The first interview I'm going to be doing today is with a comedian group called Comics Not Otherwise Specified. There are four comedians, Pat Tiffin, Michael McCreary, Adam Schwartz, and Curran Dobbs all on the autism spectrum, all very, very funny people. The amount of laughter already before even talking with them today is hilarious. Thank you all so much for being on my show today. Off the bat, why did all four of you become comedians? I'll start with you, Kern. Why did you want to become a comedian? Uh, well. Uh, I think it's because I, uh, well, I, when you make a room full of people laugh, it's an adrenaline rush, right? It's a real ego boost and it's very validating. And it's, and when I'm performing on stage, it's something I'm good at, good at, and I like being good at something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And growing up, I, uh, did, you know, uh, uh, went to all the mu- uh, uh, music lessons and recitals and drama and whatnot. So I've been a bit of a, you know, pre-Madonna or diva or whatever. So I like being on stage and getting the laughs. So being the center of attention and being good at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Being the center of the attention, and you're bad at it. You know, it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable and you don't like it. But when you are good at it, you know, it's really, it'd be really validating. It sounds very validating to be good at it and be the center of attention. How about for you, Pat? Well, I was never a prima donna because you have to go to Madonna school to be prima donna. But no, uh, I, I became a uh, I, I became a comedian because I, like I I feel that uh, I, I have this gift for writing jokes and wordplay. So it's just uh, if if a joke's not told, does it actually exist? So, um, I'm a little bit more selfless, I guess, sometimes. But it's just like, I, I, I just want to get that joke out there and get people laughing, getting people, get people like comfortable with the idea that, yeah, autism people have problems as well. <laughs> it's it's, it's try, trying to expose the commonality that we all have as people. The commonality and finding those common threads. And autism shouldn't be scary. Uh, autism can be scary if you have the right horror movie, but other than that, we're, we're just like everybody else. But just like- sometimes we have to walk around eating a nice cream sundae just to make people a little bit more at ease. Sometimes during the summer, that's something you gotta do. How about for you, Adam? Uh, well, in school, I've always had people laughing with and at me. Uh, and since I couldn't tell the difference between a good laugh and a bad laugh, I assume they were all just laughs. 
and then I found my social uh, comedy became a hangout spot. It became my little club. Uh, and instead of having to call people up and be like, do you want to hang out? Uh, I just go there and there's always people around. Nice. It sounds like a social thing. It's a good, it's a good exercise in socialism or socializing. Sorry, like not a lot of comedians are that you know that you'd call a socialist, but socializing, yeah, we're, we're, it's a very good socializing activity, especially for us. And instead of laughing at me or at you, laughing with you, how about for you, Michael? Um, when I was a kid, I really loved doing theater, like community theater and stuff like that. But I was always stressed out by the fact that there was just, uh. There was a, there were too many things beyond my control when you're part of an ensemble, right? When you're part of a cast and crew, uh, where there's any number of things that uh, can go wrong and you'd be helpless to stop. So uh, things like someone forgetting a line, for instance. So stand-up was really appealing to me as a kid because it was, you know, kind of like, it, it was sort of intersectional with theater in the kind of one-person show format. But, uh, you know, if something went wrong, that's on you. And even if that feels bad in the moment, it, it, it feel, I, I, I think I had considerable more, uh, I, I felt like I had a considerable amount of agency doing stand-up opposed to any other art form. And uh, I really loved it. So uh, th- that's why I took to it. And it's better control for, for yourself. You've also written a book about funny, you don't look autistic. Yeah, yeah. The title, I, I want to clarify, uh, the, the title is not an accusation. It is a, it is a quote uh, uh, from a lot of, uh, like, it's a quote that I, it's a thing that people have said to me many times in my life, because I've reached a point where I am able to mask, which uh, I'm sure your listeners probably know by this point, but uh, if, in case anybody out there doesn't, uh, masking basically refers to when a neurodivergent person, i.e. someone with uh uh, ASD, OCD, ADD, ADHD, or, or whatever their neurological makeup is, uh, whatever the diagnosis is, uh, n- masking is when they were able to pass for neurologically typical. So basically someone without a neurological variation. So I was able to uh, basically up until COVID uh, live independent of my folks. I, I was able to like uh, keep a job, do all these other things, uh, basically uh, present uh, in, in a way that made me appear that I could like, I could pass for neurotypical. And so when I would tell people, like if I needed assistance or if I needed help uh, and I would tell them that uh, I was on the spectrum, they'd go funny. You don't look autistic or some variation on that. And to me, I, I always thought that was kind of stupid just because it's like autism doesn't really look like anything. Obviously 7.1 billion people on the planet. 1% of that is autistic. There's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of variation, right? It's a spectrum. So, uh, Really, the name just comes from experiences like that, where people both, uh, both of ill intent and well intent, uh, try, uh, you know, kind of got. We're feeling themselves a little too much and decided to go like, "Hey, don't say that about yourself." And I was like, "No, it's not a bad. It's it's not. I'm just telling you this is what I need uh, to help." I've gotten that as well. Funny, you don't look neurodivergent. Yeah, until when I need help. Mm-hmm. Michael doesn't yeah. generally look uh, neurodivergent until he, uh, he gets on the topic of Sonic the Hedgehog or Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to mute myself before this, uh, <laughs> before I prove Adam's point. <laughs> that sounds funny. Well, you say that now. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it sounds funny now until until somebody gets basically explains and then it just yeah you get him talking about Sonic and he'll start hedgehogging the spotlight. So we're not hedging our bets there, Kern. Uh, How did all four of you get together and do this wonderful riff of playing off of each other? We're not that good at riffing, but we're really good at uh, just knowing that when we're listening to other people talk, just like, okay. With Adam, you know, it's going to be sort of slow and he might go off. It's all pattern-based mostly because, like, Adam might go off on a tangent and then I might have to pull him back. So we, it's just like, it, it's something happens, then we play off of it. Something else happens, something else plays off of it. Like, comedy has a natural pattern and that's something that autistic people are really, really good at. But the official story of how we got together was uh, I was struggling with my social media and uh, building an audience. So I made a post where I tagged all three of them uh, to try and get some help. And then Susan, uh, Michael's mom, saw the post. I was like, that's a great idea. What if all four of them were a group? And uh, they did shows together. Uh, and then uh, obviously Susan then got Doug to... Uh, get everything rolling, and that's essentially how the group came together. But like a lot, a lot of this group came together like around, around like like Kern and Adam have, but through certain circumstances, got got to know each other. Adam, Mike, Matt, uh, a comic by the name of Rob Ross, uh, sort of connected me with Doug at some point, and I got to meet Mike for the first time. And so I was like, oh, the. the it's 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 a very good group where I know that I where I sort of fit. It sounds like there's a lot of like little connections with everyone and everyone's families as well. And it sounds like a nice group to be like friends and be around in Canada with. with I, each other. I, since we we uh, we we had our tour last year, just like I've, I've sort of been taught like. I've seen some other comedians pop up their diagnoses and it's just like, oh, like th there's more than just us right now. That That's a topic for another occasion. Oh. What have been some of the funny parts and the more positive parts since joining up together and going around to Canada together as comic? I'll start with you, Michael. Yeah. Um, uh, we filmed a documentary um, uh, that was uh, about a, uh, uh, a fairly small tour, but a very fun tour that we did uh, back uh, last year, uh, summer of last year in Southern Ontario. And uh, reviewing the footage, it, it was like an embarrassment of riches, uh, like uh, just in, in terms of the other guys playing off each other and, uh, and uh, just uh, I, I, I don't want to play favorites or anything, but just every, uh, because everyone is just, uh, everyone's so good and is always, uh, doing something. Um, I, I don't know how to say this, but, uh, I, I think I, Adam was the first person I met of the group and I've always liked Adam because he always posits himself as low status, but he is a purely Mephistophelian figure. Like he is, he is just subtly putting people against each other, but in really entertaining ways, uh, like just to give the documentary some semblance of conflict. So like 
uh, this isn't from the doc or, and this is before we actually started the group, but this is the moment when I kind of went, oh, I like this guy. Like this is uh, because I appreciated his frankness. And so there was this, uh, I was 18 years old, mind you. Adam was a little bit older than me. Uh, we were, I, I was doing a tour back in 2014 and uh, I, I stopped at, I believe the gas station art center in Winnipeg uh, along the tour. And Adam uh, was uh, performing on the same uh, bill as me. And before the show, he uh, came up to me and I, uh, he was like, hey, I'm Adam, uh, uh, like really looking forward to working with you. And I said, yeah, man, thanks. And he said, you know, I, uh, I, I saw some of your stuff online. I saw this one clip uh, that you did in Guelph. Uh, that, was, uh, that was funny stuff, man. Good on you. And I said, thanks, man. The crowd really seemed, well, the crowd seemed to like it. And he said, I don't know about that. But you're good. And he just like left it at that and walked away. <laughs> and so I went like, oh, and I, I was like, is this guy, like, like, is he screwing with me? What does he do? And then I realized, like, this is just how he is with everyone. And he's really great. Um, Pat has an insane wealth of information. Uh, I, I'm sure you got plenty of uh, questions already regarding, uh, regarding this. But again, he could tell you anything about the London stand-up scene. Basically, anything about the... Uh, uh, just about... Ex pardon? The Canadian stand-up scene writ large. Exactly. I was like, if you want the specificity of London, if you want to know about Toronto, if you want to know what I like uh like anything in ontario and abroad like pat could tell you about that he knows everybody and uh curran is the uh is i think my secret favorite character of the uh of the entire comics nos ensemble because uh he has the most moving arc in the documentary which is that he finally gets to finish a damn sentence by the yeah. end of the movie <laughs> yeah I yeah because like you know it could be uh, difficult because like you know there are times during the uh what's it the podcast where like you know uh i would start to say something at the same time as someone else and every time i'd be the one to okay i'm gonna let you finish your sentence and then i'll say my thing but when i say my thing someone else is starting to say something and i'm being and that's like this can't be a one-sided thing so like sorry like, to interrupt you curran but yeah, my, favorite, <laughs> my favorite thing that you would do on the podcast is that after our first show, I said, okay, I propose a system where we have everyone in gallery view so we can see everyone at once. And so that we don't worry about talking over each other if we have an idea, we raise our hands like we're in school like this. And we sort of wait to be called upon to like kind of to kind of have a thought so that current can get a word in. The, the, everyone said that's a great idea and we never did it after that uh yeah, Curran, would, like... Curran would could Curran would could contribute to the podcast entirely by leaving passive aggressive messages in the chat below <laughs> god bless so... him he's like he was like he was so good you just would say like timestamp followed by this is where i would have put this joke like it was really good. <laughs> yeah because like you know if two people are talking at the same time at the pod on the podcast people won't be able to understand what we're saying uh which would kind of defeat the purpose of say, trying to say it and communicate it to like a podcast audience, right? So also it's just annoying not being listened. Yay, passive grace. You were gonna say Pat? Oh, I, I, usually with the podcast, I, I was one of those people who actually raised my hand a few times, but then it's in the middle of an ad mark and it's just like, I can right. see, I can see Kern revving up. I'm trying to beat him to the punch. So it's just like, Sometimes it's just like whoever got there first at that point. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, 
also that kind of thing is one of the it's like the main disadvantage of having a podcast of four hosts and a guest like you have five people trying to have a conversation it's one of the reasons why i usually prefer to talk to one or two people at a time because it could when it's like a larger group people have a much harder time getting to say what they want to say too so and this has been podcast therapy. Sounds yeah, like it's like a lot Metallica. of fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Metallica therapy. That that is. Woo. That, that, Sorry, Allison. It's wonderful to just hear how all four of you are like so well connected and riff off of each other and have fun at your podcast, touring together, and being on a movie. A documentary together with that don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self-advocate on cfro co-op radio 100.5 fm with your host allison klein join me derek white sky cloud i am your host every wednesday night from 5 to 6 p.m for metis matters radio where we discuss why metis matters and the worldwide matters of metis people from the past to the present, every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. This episode is all about comedians and comedy. And right now I am talking with the four comedians from comics, not otherwise specified. Pat Tiffin, Michael McCreary, Adam Schwartz, and Kern Dobbs. Very, very funny people already and how they are so well connected with each other. What have been some of the more difficult parts or negative parts of being a comedian and being on the spectrum? I'll start with you, Adam. Uh, great question. Uh, there's a lot of things that are difficult when you're autistic. Uh, it's sometimes hard to connect with your audience uh, and build a following in terms of marketing. Uh, and yeah, it's also sometimes difficult for some uh, autistic comedians to drive uh, because uh, driving is very difficult for many autistic comedians. And uh, when you're in most cities, you're gonna have to go on tour uh, and driving. But for me, driving is great because I always know exactly what to do with my hands, which is something very unusual uh, in a social situation. Driving and getting any everywhere and reading the room. How about for you, Pat? Okay, so yeah, it's like I I I want to talk to Adam on that point. It's like I think one of our biggest problems is we we never know how to truly advocate for ourselves. Cause like I I I see this group and I see a lot of talent in this group, but I don't think there's one of us this year who's actually like getting the showcase for JFL, for instance. Like whether it be like like there's so many comedians, we have a special thing that we have about ourselves but there's just way too many comedians before you get to our section of doing stuff michael's a little better at this considering that he was just in the one pig comedy festival last year i know i've been but very I, lucky 
I, I just wanted to point out that they had last year, they had to go out to Britain and uh, to get like two autistic female comedians to fulfill their neurodivergent, their neurodivergent quota. Yeah, but I, uh, I understand both the points that uh, Pat and Adam are making, which is that the, uh, I've been really lucky in, in that I've been able to sort of ride the wave of like uh, uh, someone uh, comes to see me at one show, says, will you do another show? I say, yes, absolutely. It's like I just got in the habit of saying yes. It's like that old cliche of just, uh, do you know how to do a job? And it's like, no, but I'll learn on the fly, right? So you, so you get used to doing that. Uh, but uh, uh, what uh, Adam was sort of bringing, uh, sorry, I, I derailed your entire thing. I apologize. Uh, what, what Pat was getting at was uh, kind of interesting, which was that uh, the difficult thing about uh, neurodivergent comics, le- the difficult thing for neurodivergent comics, let alone neurotypical comics, is that most comics writ large don't understand their work. You know, like this goes back to like, uh, there's a great book uh, that I believe I put wrote called The Comedians that talks about a lot of the, the intersectionality of like labor, uh, like labor solidarity and, um, uh, and, uh, and artistry, where like a lot of comedians, unfortunately, basically since the 70s and still struggling to this day. Uh, and I mean, you see CanCom trying to rectify stuff like this, uh, aren't formally organized you know as like a labor force because a lot of uh, a lot of comedians are sort of working like mercenaries like on a on a, on a show by show basis and they're not really getting paid anything a lot of the time it's like you get uh, paid an exposure and so goes the cliche people die of exposure so I think what Pat's getting at is just you add into that someone whose neurological makeup might include things like executive dysfunction motor planning deficiencies stuff like that and already you're playing a game that's kind of stacked against uh is stacked against uh, comedians and now you got to deal with like uh uh being neurodivergent on top of that like it's tough it's tough like, advocating for yourself for me you stack my neurodivergent status status being comic over the age of 40 oh not not to mention that i'm a comic from london ontario like being an autistic comic has less of a stigma from from where i'm from than like Autistic comic, fine. Comic from London, Ontario? Oh, <laughs> Get out of here. But Pat is great at creating opportunities for other comedians. He's uh, created a whole I, comic I do, scene uh, in like, London. I, I, I will toot my own horn at him. Uh, yeah, I, I do produce my own shows. So like, that's, like, first and foremost, I will give my group as much of a platform as I can give them. And I can, like, bring in a lot of local comedians up so they can maybe get some small time opportunities in Toronto so they can maybe move on to better opportunities in the future. Better opportunities in the future. That makes perfect segue to my next question. For anybody who is autistic or neurodiverse, neurodivergent, who wants to become a comic, what's one piece of advice you would give to them? I will start with you, Curran. Uh, I'd say uh, if you're thinking uh, about like if you're putting it off until you're not scared to do it or you're feeling prepared, uh, give up on that pipe dream. Uh, uh, recognize that you should do it while you're still scared because the only way you're going to stop being scared is to have done it for a while. Uh, scared of getting up on stage performing. My my greatest piece of advice is uh, let your style find you and 
not the other way around. Because like I, I love to be a storyteller or or person does observational com- comedy, but my mind has a certain way of working towards like writing one liners. So it's just like it it comes it becomes easier when you figure out that you fit your style and your you don't and your style doesn't fit you. To almost have a style that is like there for you and doing well when you're scared so you get used to it. Don't feel uh don't feel jealous of other people because they can work the other style because they found their style and you find your style it'll work out yet. It's very don't... tough to not feel jealousy in a stand comedy even when uh you're really happy for the people and you're like that's amazing I'm jealous uh because we all want our own opportunities and we all are uh, kind of like uh, gunslingers where we're like, we want opportunities for ourselves, but it's, uh, so it's sometimes deal with jealousy, uh, even though we're super happy for other people. Adam, speak for yourself. I'm a pun slinger. I'm a pacifist. How about for you, Michael? Absolutely. Um, I'm actually going to reiterate what Pat said about finding your own style. I'm going to say the magic of art, especially a storytelling art, like, like like stand-up is that uh you can make it about like you can tell a story about anything so whatever your special interest is you know i mean if your special interest stand-up itself it might be a little bit uh, might be a little bit harder but i mean whatever you're interested in uh dinosaurs trains pokemon lego whatever you can tell a joke about it It, it, yes exactly Uh, all those things like every uh like i'm really into movies Uh, which I'm lucky is a fairly broad subject, but so many of my jokes just are about film and popular culture. So for anyone that's like into whatever, uh, you like whatever, whatever subject uh, you're fixated on, you can, you can just make that your bit as Pat was saying, that could be, that could be your in as far as like going all in on a subject. Like I, uh, I'd suggest that like, if you're worried about going into comedy, but you're kind of like, what should I talk about? Do I talk about being autistic? Do I talk about this? And I go, what are you interested? I mean, like Peel, uh, Jordan Peel had that uh, great line. Uh, he applied it to screenwriting, but I think it could apply to comedy as well. Is just, I mean, don't write if, it, if it's not fun to you. Like the second it stops being fun, get, find an in that's actually fun to you. So you're not always eating your broccoli because it's, it's all made up. Have some I fun. love broccoli though. It's, it's great. It tastes nice. Not a big fan of peas, but that's just me. We all have our own little thing. Yeah, Pat's uh, Pat's special interest is uh, vegetables. Because I look like one. <laughs> also, an easy uh, fix is growing a uh, neck beard like Curran. That's always co- lots of comedy goals. I'm rather attached to it. Uh, <laughs> I used to hate the beard, but it grew on me. It's not homegrown. So, it's ingrown now. That's why I call them grown-up jokes. I'm right. already laughing. Uh yeah, I I shouldn't make jokes like that during a pandemic. So yeah, this is this is after the pandemic. You had the pandemic, which is just like people making yeah. jokes. Bad yeah. because we've not spent enough time with each other in the last three years. And it shows that camaraderie. What do you hope for the future for people who are autistic and for the comedy scene? I'll start with you, Michael. Yeah, well, uh, from what I understand, uh, CanCom's doing a lot of really good stuff. Uh, so to me, it's like, I hope there's an easier in for uh, for people that want to make a living at this. Like, that's really, I, I mean, like, it's already difficult for a lot of autistic people to land a job. 
uh, holding a job for a lot of uh, neurodivergent people isn't the difficult thing. It's the in, you know, it's like a job interview. It's uh, it's like when you have to demonstrate your social skills as opposed <laughs> to your occupational skills, that's when that's when there's a hiccup, you know. So I think uh, uh, I, I think when, uh, you know, when, when something like I don't know uh, if we'll ever get to a point of like a formal union, but having something like uh, uh, to have people's backs as far as like, you know, doing stand up, be it uh, sorry, comedy, stand up, sketch, improv, whatever. Uh, once that's like solidified like there's a ground that people can stand on, then I think that's going to be really good for autistic people that uh, want to get into comedy. I have a sort of different take. The, my, my, my take is more along the line of lines of the, uh, like you have to develop, like for Canadian stand-up to, to, uh, to move forward, you sort of have to develop those smaller territories like Toronto, Calgary, Ottawa, Vancouver, Halifax. They, they have seeds, but you have to bring up the other scenes to a point where, because you need, you need places to go, you need places to tour. So you, so getting shows up is one thing, getting festivals as in local festivals. So there's more work out there for comedians is also important. Um, you need to start looking at alternative ways of getting your, your film and TV stuff online because you, you're not going to be able to get the uh the tv stations streaming networks until they they have proof that you actually have some sort of audience to grow with that sorry you, you just crossed my special interest though. so uh my approach is slightly different uh i've recently started uh or they should call neuro hilarity uh which produces neurodivergent uh comedy shows uh and I'm hoping to grow that brand uh, with this amazing performing with other neurodivergent comedians. Uh, and I was so used to being the only neurodivergent comedian on the stage. Uh, and so I'm hoping to build some solid friendships out of neurohilarity. That would be awesome to see and to, to watch. How about for you, Karen? I, well, uh, it, it'd just be great for like more representation uh i guess i know like you know how cool it is like especially when you're a kid but even as an adult to see yourself represented in media where you're often underrepresented and it's like like it was exciting you know when i uh there uh there is uh i remember there was a rom-com that I saw with two autistic protagonists and like, you know, uh, the movie itself was okay. But the fact that like I was seeing two autistic protagonists uh, represented in a rom-com that was like, kind of gave it an extra, uh, extra marks for me and just being able to see that. And like being, uh, as an autistic, I like, you know, young autistic audience members to be able to see, be like, hey, autistic, hey, I'm represented in comedy. So. What Michael. movie was this? Uh, Mozart and the Whale. Right, right. Also, also, inclu- inclusion is a major part, but if you don't get to a point where you're integrated with the other comedians, you're not really making a difference until you get to that point. So, like, I also see noticing in that movie uh, continuity error uh, that involved like you know numbers, and I'm like. 
dude, if you're going to make a movie about awesome, don't let the continuity errors be about like just strings of numbers. Because uh, I remember there was this scene where uh, there was I, I a- can't wait for the autistic uh, spoof movie where it's just like he's in the numbers, he's in the trains. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Dinosaurs, dinosaurs in numbers at the same time. No, because yeah, I just remember there's the scene where like the the male autistic protagonist is like you know looking at the sign up sheet and he notices like a new member who's a, a member in the group, uh, like because he runs this autism social group, and he like there's he notices that the female protagonist has signed up for it. And he's like, hey, who's this new person? And they're phone numbers on the sheet and a little later you see his fingers dialing the number and it's a completely different number from the number on the sheet. <laughs> I'm like you know there's a continuity or numbers and that. This so. is going to sound dumb but I like to think that uh, Josh Hartnett kind of like in movies where they need to ADR sorry not ADR they need to foley a guy playing a piano who doesn't know how to play piano. Josh Hartnett just didn't know how to use a phone so they just <laughs> have to look. <laughs> ra- wrong numbers and somehow just do some movie magic (laughs) wow to be able to have more inclusion and and see you guys like all riffed and and see have people who are like you on stage for others that would be amazing and things are getting better michael was just in a tv show where he played a neurodivergent character that's been up for a canada uh comedy award Yeah, oh. no, it's really exciting. Uh, I'm not nominated for anything, just to clarify. It's yeah, uh, yeah, the producers. They left. They left the. They left the, uh, they, they left the uh, supporting actor category. So, like the one thing about the Canadian <laughs> Screen Awards is like you, usually you'd have like usually if if you're uh, if you're trying to go like genderless with your categories, it's because you want to make a social statement and. Canadian Screen Awards? Nope. It's just save money for black people. <laughs> How can the listener find comics not otherwise specified and find all four of you? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, for the group, uh, we have a website. I believe it is called comicsnos.com. We also have a podcast called NOS and then like colon, like the colon symbol. Uh, the podcast, uh, which you guys, I believe we can find on like, um, on like Anchor. Uh, which I believe this show Spotify. is also going to be. Exactly. Anywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, maybe, maybe not. Uh, go to Anchor and Spotify. That's where you can absolutely, definitely find that. Um, well, uh, uh, yeah. And if, like, you know, hopefully one day we'll become so famous that we'll get enough streaming on Spotify to, like, make a penny. Because. <laughs> <laughs> They don't really pay very uh, artists well, very well. How can we find you, Adam? How can the listener find you? Uh, you can find me uh, at neurohilarity.ca. Neurohilarity.ca. How about for you, Pat? How can the listener find you? Okay, you can find me at Pat Tiffin, which if you're wondering how to spell Tiffin, and for some people who have not figured this out yet, is T-I-F-F. I N Pat Tiffin, you find on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, don't ever try to find me on uh, Snapchat because I that was my technological Waterloo. Go find people at Pat Tiffin on Instagram and TikTok. How about for you, Kern? How can the listener find you? I uh, have a Facebook stand-up comedy. 
page right now. I'm just using it to like, you know, occasionally uh, put like push like, you know, any gigs that I might have upcoming. Uh, I also have a YouTube account. Uh, right now, my uh, stuff is temporary. My uh, videos of my stand-up are temporarily off the internet just because uh, I have a thing uh, that may have already aired by the time this airs. That, but uh, uh, at, at the moment, as of this recording, I'm keeping my stuff off the internet. And you uh, can find me at aspiecomic.com and fa on Facebook at Michael McCurry hyphen funny you don't look autistic. So go check funny you don't look autistic and Michael McCreary out as well. Go check all four comics out. Thank you so much and for having us. Thank you all Thanks, for you so much. Thanks, Allison. So don't go anywhere because there will be more on the Self Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. Sitting at home, flicking through your Spotify, wishing for something new. Hop on over to Bandcamp right now and search for Vancouver Co-op Radio. From there, you can see our three albums, Anthems from the Alley, Volumes 1 and 2, and From Pigeon Park to Wall Street, all available for streaming and purchase. Do you dig all three? Buy all of them for a discounted price of $15. Explore folk, alternative, progressive rock, art rock, experimental, blues, poetry, and world music. Go to Bandcamp right now and find us at Vancouver Co-op Radio. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. This episode is all about comedy. My next guest today is Antonia Lazar, who is a comedian out of Los Angeles in California. Thank you so much, Antonia, for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. I'm so happy to be here. Off the bat, what inspired you to go into comedy? Ooh, that's such a good question. I mean, for most of my childhood, I just had the Jewish neuroses of being obsessed with getting a laugh on anything. And, and that, but I didn't uh, think of myself as a comedian until much later. I went to theater school and I was like an actor and a writer and I happened to be doing entirely comedic stuff, but I still had a real block about calling myself a comedian. I think because there's kind of, a gendered expectation around comedy, especially, I mean, I'm a millennial, so I'm, you know, it's not like I'm that old, but even when I was in college, like the improv group was entirely men. And I think I had a little bit of a gendered, um, like resistance that I was like, well, I think I'm like too femmy to be a comedian, except that I was doing entirely comedy. And then, um, I had like a long career as a solo performer, writing and performing um, shows, it also comedic. Um, but it wasn't until like five years ago that I just made the plunge from theater right into comedy and and declared it to the world. Because I think it's, 
I'm like obsessed with the way that art can educate, can give people new perspectives, you know, can just like help the world, you know, be better. And I think that people listen the best if it's funny or beautiful. People do listen the best when it's funny or beautiful and having more representation in comedy instead of just men being in spotlight. Yeah, it's important because because that's the thing. Everyone's got something good to say. And when it's when it's funnier, it's louder. And so equipping more people with comedy skills ends up giving more people platforms to speak, you know. How do you blend the disability side into your comedy? Ugh, it's such a good question. And and something that I'm not going to have a good, easy answer for right now, because everything is still in flux. And I am both somewhat newly disabled, but also it's I've had, uh, you know, physical disability my entire life. I'm more new to like claiming the term disability and so i'm trying to figure out how all of this works with my comedy career and it's all very messy right now like for example yesterday something came up where i had a medical procedure that meant i couldn't talk and so we had to reschedule our podcast there's a lot of stuff that's just in flux where Sometimes there's going to be a day where I just like can't function. And that is very tricky when you are getting money from live performances that are pre-scheduled, you know? So I'm, I'm really trying to figure everything out as well as just what it means to be disabled because what my, like what my body's going through is something that's been going through my entire life where I have really severe GI issues that significantly impact how I can be in the world. And, and like, I'm sure so many of your listeners have experienced, I was resistant to even calling that a disability for a long time. Actually, I didn't even know it could be called a disability. It wasn't until it got so severe that it took me out of like the traditional workforce that I even realized that this was a disability and and it's a dynamic disability so it changes every day there are some days where i have so many more abilities than other days so it's it is just a really messy and confusing place to be in an industry that has virtually zero accommodations like there are there is no HR department in comedy. It is a nightmare for anyone who is not like, you know, a cis white guy who has never been harassed before. It's just, this is a really difficult industry to be in for anybody, regardless of ability. And um, yeah, so it's it's messy and confusing and right now like what i can do is i can write a lot of comedy about disability so at least my audiences get this opportunity to like engage with me and discuss like what the fuck is going on here um but as a 
as an employee of this industry, it's a mess. <laughs> it's almost like you have to raise your hand and saying, need a little help here. <laughs> yeah. Get out of the way, please. Thing that that learning about disability in a positive instead of shaming anybody. It's huge. It's huge. And like we were saying earlier, it's like people will learn better if it's funny. Like I think a lot of people don't even want to learn about disability. There's so much fear there. I mean, I think because deep down we all know that we could join the, you know, the world of the disabled at any time. And and people have a real resistance to like learning about it also because they think they're afraid that they're going to feel bad that they're not being like inclusive or accessible enough and so when you can just make it a little easier to talk about for those people who are so scared of the conversation you know you can at least talk about more than you would have had they been totally closed off very important to be able to learn that and open people's eyes so that that they're not closed off. What have been some of the highlights since doing comedy and talking about your lived experiences? Um, Well, you know, getting on TikTok has been like a total revolution. TikTok has been like a revelation for me because, you know, it happened over the pandemic and over the pandemic was when I became severely disabled. And so I couldn't leave the house to perform at all. I couldn't stand up for long enough to perform. I was, you know, I was trying to figure out like, how am I going to have a comedy career at all? And um, TikTok was amazing because I realized that I can shoot these really short form things from my room while I'm sitting down, you know, it's like, getting lightheaded when I was standing up. And so I could shoot all of this stuff sitting down and and I could edit it sitting down like and it was all on my own schedule and I could take breaks. And that was so much easier on my body than my entire previous career of live performance ever was. And it also helped me realize that I I wasn't doing as much live performance as I wanted to be doing previously because I had been dealing with a somewhat like a less severe form of this disability my whole life. And so I was just exhausted all the time and in pain all the time. And so I didn't want to schlep to comedy shows every night where there's this like culture, there's a culture in standup and comedy in general that like if you're not performing every night normally for free um that you're not getting the reps in and you're not being serious and it it is also just a good way to get more jobs when you are showing yourself to more people so there is like a real tangible benefit of the practice and everything but but i was never performing as much as i felt like i should be performing and i had all of this shame around it and then when I discovered TikTok and discovered that I could be a comedian from my couch, from my comfy chair, that I was like, this literally opens up my world. This is like the accessibility tool that I was waiting for. And so TikTok has been just like 
amazing. And being able to interact with my audience now from online has been incredible. And I've met all of these, I've met amazing people, including you from the internet. And I've also like performed, quote unquote performed, my material has been seen by more humans than ever saw all of my live performance combined in like one TikTok video. It opened up your world and you have a huge audience now, more than you've ever seen. Yeah. And it's so much easier. So you've almost leapfrogged in front of those who don't have a disability just through accessibility. Yeah, totally. And the other thing is it's also accessible for audience members. Uh, TikTok. TikTok is, is also, it's just as accessible for the creators as it is for some audience members. Um, if they have access to a phone and if they are, and if there is good captioning, you know, on that phone. But like, for me as an audience member, the pandemic like also gave me access to digital recordings of performances that I never would have been able to like schlep out to because I was in too much pain. And I've been able to like see and network and just be a part of the comedy world that I wasn't able to before. It's so great. It sounds amazing. A lot more for everyone yeah with that don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self-advocate on dfro co-op radio 100.5 fm with your host allison klein howdy folks tune in every sunday afternoon from 4 to 5 30 for what the folk singer songwriters deep folk roots music it's all folk music. Sundays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and www.coopradio.org. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alisonira. Right now, I am talking with Antonia Lazar, who is a stand-up comedian and a social media influencer, changing the tables a little. We've touched about how it's difficult to go to places and find accessibility for people with disabilities, both comedians and audience members, and lasting so long. So those are a lot of the negatives side of comedy and breaking in when you're not a cis white male. Has the comedy or stand-up comedy industry changed at all or started listening to those voices that are not mainstream? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I have such a narrow experience of my own journey in stand-up, so I think that I'm not the right person to talk about the entire industry, but I can talk about what I've seen personally, you know, which is that like with 
like I think the majority of arts and culture that there is a movement more to have more diverse voices um, being represented. And that includes like all levels of ability and disability. And there are there is more effort now to make accommodations than there was previously. And yet all of that said, there is an enormous way to go in the comedy industry. So I th you know, that's at least from my perspective, that's my assessment. There's there has been progress, but there is way, way more to go. Way, way more. It's like you see the progress, but you see how much further we can still go. What's one piece of advice to another person who has a disability who wants to start stand-up comedy? Ooh, oh my God. Wow. What a good question. I mean, first of all, I think I can only speak to people who have disabilities that are similar to mine because I don't have the experience of having severe mobility issues um, or uh, learning disabilities. But, you know, my specific experience of a disabled body has been like an inability to eat and like severe fatigue um, and and some mobility issues and um, and chronic pain. So, you know, to someone who's dealing with all of those things or, but if this applies to anyone else in the disability spectrum, I'm, I'm sure it does in some way. I think that, gosh, recommendations. I'm so bad with recommendations because I always, I'm always the one asking other people for like, what do you think? you should do you know so I'm like what I don't know I'm bad at giving advice sometimes because I feel like it's so so it needs to be so personal um but here are some things that I think would be good maybe depending on the person I mean I would encourage people to explore the online comedy world um as much as they feel comfortable with because it is just such an incredible accessibility tool um to be able to create comedy on your own time um something else okay this is a really sneaky trick if there are any comedians listening um if you are having trouble getting to stand-up shows and getting good clips of you to represent your comedy which i certainly was having i was just having a lot of trouble having the energy to like get out to shows and I could only get to these small ones that were nearby and they had very small audiences. If you can get yourself to a stage, even without an audience at some time, like during the day that works for you, um, film yourself doing a stand-up set and edit in a laugh track. People don't realize that this is a great tool, but that's one way that you can get your materials to um look more professional while still keeping it on your own schedule like i personally have way more energy during the daytime than the nighttime and so nighttime shows are a big struggle for me so that's like a very sneaky little tip um also i really hope that more more disabled people create more shows for disabled people because 
like we and you are the only ones who are going to be able to like know how to meet your needs first before the rest of the comedy world like really gets educated and i think it would just be really affirming to have like more disabled spaces led by disabled people and this one's controversial but if this resonates with you then go for it me personally i feel very empowered when i milk the shit out of my chronic illness i'm like listen everything hurts all the time i'm miserable constantly and the least i can get is material and that personally makes me feel very empowered though i'm sure there are a lot of people who don't want to focus on that for their material so there's no you know there's no requirement there but if that makes you feel empowered then i love that for you what do you hope for the future for the disability community and comedy it's like accessibility accessibility (laughs) period (laughs) you know and like that is gonna look like so so many things but just a like right now there is a real attitude that's like if you can't hack it then like you don't deserve to be here if you're not willing to like show up late if you're not willing to put in the hours like if you're not willing to push yourself and your body, then like you might as well not even be in comedy because you don't want it enough. And that is like so ableist, it's so dumb. And that is a huge attitude that needs to change. That's the biggest one, you know, in terms of disability, that like that pushing ourselves is a pushing ourselves in our bodies is like a sign of commitment and and moral superiority and if you cannot push your body in those ways then you are morally inferior that is what we've really got to change um we need more shows that are during the daytime we need more shows that are um streamed we need more accessible venues that are ADA compliant, which is like so crazy that I have to say that because at least in America, we've had this law for so long, but there's comedy venues are still so inaccessible. We need chairs that like fit more bodies, like our fat audience members are like, what? Like we just don't want them to come if they can't fit into our chairs, you know? Like we need so, we need so many more physical accommodations. We need more sign language interpreters, we need so many things. But, you know, it just boils down to accessibility. Accessibility, not only in the United States with the compliance of the Americans with Disabilities Act, but compliance in Canada, like better accessibility and sign language interpreters and being able to go and see the show during the day instead of just night and accessibility for people who are the comedians as well. How can the listener find you, Antonia? I ha- my social media handle is Antonia Lestar, A-N-T-O-N-I-A-L-A-S as in Sam, T as in Tom, A-R. That is a play on my real last name, which is Lassar, but I put a T in there, so it became Lassar. 
because I love attention. And um, so that's my handle on TikTok and Instagram. You can always just Google my name. All of my upcoming shows are in my bio on social media. And if I could just plug something quickly, um, I am currently, if you check me out, you'll see that I have a lot of Jewish material because I'm also Jewish. And um, I'm currently booking a stand-up tour to synagogues. So if you or your Jewish community um, or your, you know, a private event, private Jewish events, if you know any Jews who are looking for a stand-up comedian, this is the time to reach out to me because I am actively booking. So go check her out. Go book her. Find Antonia on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you so, so much for being on my show, Antonia. Thank you, Allison. Oh my God. It was like such, I was so touched to that you even asked me to be on this show. And this was awesome to talk with you. This has been The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. If you missed any part of this show or want to listen to it again, you can find it on anchor.fm or wherever you find your podcasts. To end out this show, let's put on our theme song, Better Miracle by Kiprios. Kiprios is a Vancouver-based rapper. Even though he doesn't have a disability, the song, Better Miracle, talks about having a better tomorrow, but not a miracle. Enjoy more programming, everyone. Today, my window, the sun came through. Today was the day I thought I'd look to. My window felt the pain that I knew. The sun heard about it when he came to, came through. Good looking out, I needed you. Today was the day that didn't need rain. My window looked to me to make a change. The sun rising to the occasion came through. Good looking out, I needed you. Oh, oh. myself i'm gonna be okay remember back then i've come a long way the dream may never ever be the same but came true still here with you and that'll do i know the road i'm on is not an easy way remember that i will define the path i take the dream yeah i'm a dreamer what can i say came true still here with you and that'll do i feel it's in my fingers i know it's in my soul now don't need i don't need a miracle just want to get a bit better I feel it's in my fingers, I know it's in my soul now Don't need, I don't need a miracle, just want to get a little better oh, oh. I'm not asking for a miracle, oh, oh. just want to get a little bit better Oh, oh.
so full of regrets for last time. Memories, seek to forget, never remind. The hope, the hope ain't enough, but it's alive. And love, your love is the one to get me by my life. It's never too late to get it right. Memories, sit for my mind throughout the night. The hope helps me cope with my life. And love, your love is the one to get me by. Moment mattering in life. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul. Now don't need, I don't need a miracle. Just want to get a little better. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul. 